Welcome to the Palm Court Podcast. I'm Mike Palmer. I attended New College back in the day, I like to say, which happened to be in the late 80s, early 90s. Had a transformational experience there, as I think a lot of other people who went to New College did. We're going to be using this podcast to share those stories, to talk about what's going on there today. New College has been pulled into the national conversation, the culture wars on campus that have been running wild. They're certainly hitting close to home for those of us who love New College. Today, you'll hear the interview after which I knew the name of the show had to be the Palm Court Podcast. Today, I talk with Steve Waldman, who was the student body president when I was attending New College. We both were there at the same time. He was also a resident assistant. He'll talk about that in the conversation. He was also a bit of a spiritual leader for a lot of us there, and you'll certainly hear some of that talk throughout this conversation. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends. We'd love folks to hear about this podcast and to learn more about New College from the people who really know it, the people who live there and really went through a passage there. Thanks again for listening. We'll pick up next with Steve. I'm here with Steve Waldman. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's great to have you. We were both class of 1988. We were part of that small but happy crew, that happy few, probably about 150 of us, maybe 200 of us. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I think the school at the time was a total of about 500, so probably 150 per class. Yeah, we'll get our crack research staff on that immediately. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, stuff's happening at New College of Florida, our alma mater that we both care deeply about. What it's going through right now is challenging, I think, for all of us. I struggle with my feelings for New College. Like anything I love, it's not perfect, but I'd love to get some of your perspective on New College. I know you were very involved in student government when you were down there. But just to start, if someone was trying to understand you and New College, what would you want to tell them? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I think it's hard for people to understand because I don't think very many people have experiences as intimate and intense as is typical of New College. We used to call Palm Court. I I hope that students still call Palm Court the center of the universe. Palm Court, the center of pay dorms, designed by I.M. Pei, the famous architect, which historically was the center of campus wall parties, which would happen on the weekends, out under the stars, on the walls that surround the palm trees that are in the middle of Palm Court, and the balconies overlooking it. It was lovely, I thought. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, it's a remarkable place for 17, 18-year-olds to be living in these modernist, brutalist dorms designed by I.M. Pei, which architecturally are, I, I think, really interesting. A strange mix of sort of privacy, encouragement, and social spaces. Yeah, especially for college dorms, because you had your own bathroom, which at least at the time was crazy for a twofer. A duplex, two people typically, one bedroom with your own shower and a balcony, unless you got stuck in a fishbowl. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was great. They were great rooms. I guess 
I'd heard a story that they were intended to someday become kind of a conference center. And so grownups were going to live in them like hotel rooms. We're going to stay there. But then that never happened. Thank God. I mean, in some ways, I don't think pay would have designed them to be permanent dorms the way that they were because there, there was so much sort of privacy encouragement and separate entrances. And I think people who make dorms are more self-consciously about trying to build community. But the pay dorms were phenomenal about building community. Yeah. <laughs> and large part, I think, because people did have spaces to retreat to. Like I, I still have that ideal in my mind in terms of architecture that I would like to live in is spaces with a lot of common spaces, but a very demarcated zone of privacy I can retreat to. Like mm -hmm. that version of utopia has stuck with me. And then the most central, I mean, the pay dorms are very fractal. Yes. Sort of like the Four Winds logo of New College. So there were inner courtyards that were somewhat social spaces. But then the main courtyard is Palm Court, and that was the center of the universe. Yeah. And it really was the center of the universe. There's a sense in which that was not and is not to us, I think, metaphorical. Like, obviously, we're not making a claim about sort of the geography since the bang. Right. I think CERN probably has an edge on us there. And then meanwhile, on the other side of campus, there was the Bayfront which provided a different kind of solitude and peacefulness. Yeah. Because I remember even when I got my postcard from New College, I thought it was on the Gulf because of this nice postcard. And then I realized it was actually on the Bay. But in some ways, you know, the Bayfront is the other place that I'll always remember, you know, those two sort of poles. Well, and then Hamilton Center, the dilapidated even then center of student activity. But uh, I mean, the center of the universe, getting back to where we started here, you know, Emperor Palpatine and his jackbooted stormtroopers. This is a Star Wars reference. I hope that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine. New college is being occupied, it seems, by a new board of trustees. Yeah, we are being occupied. But the thing is, is they're blind, right? Home court, it's not the center of the universe to them, which means they're idiots. Yeah. From the perspective of our community, they just don't, they don't perceive what is real, right? And that, that really is real, at least in the context of our community. But that, that sounds too vague and namby-pamby. Like, for the people who are New College, there is a reality that is very concrete and visceral, and they are alien to it now and it's actually a really inviting to go with space metaphors it's kind of a you know the, the center of the universe is kind of a black hole but it's a very joyful black hole but it it likes to pull people in yeah like new college contrary to their characterization of us was really good at taking kids from all kinds of backgrounds yes lots of people from Florida conservative kind of backgrounds, too. It's the Honors College of Florida, and parents sent their smart kids there, wherever they came from, and just form a community that is off of the spectrum of our usual kind of political debates. Yeah. And I guess I just, I perceive these new trustees as really very sad because it's like they live in Flatland. Like, they... They cannot perceive what it is they're immersing themselves in. They don't, they, they don't allow themselves to 
be pulled into our gravitational field. I think it'd be really fun. Yeah. To like get into arguments with Chris Rufo a little bit drunk at a wall. Yeah. I mean, that would kind of be great. For sure. And I think that was at least the vision President Oker was trying to bring about. She was moving in that direction. I mean, it is a political issue. If Tallahassee feels you're not open to discourse and debate, you almost need to signal more. And my impression was that there was a movement to kind of do that because that's something that is sorely needed. I mean, one thing that I loved about New College is back in the late 80s, early 90s, it seemed almost outside of the ideology. The debates were more about Marx or Hegel or, you know, something Doug Berggren had cooked up in one of his philosophy classes or even like psychology, which I studied. It became very much about social constructivism and how a lot of what we live in is the product of cultural norms. And we got very meta and well-informed. And this is at a time with no core curriculum, you know, no grades, just contracts, and then three independent studies and a thesis, all student-led. But the challenge there, and I think you'll own it, like I was on the accelerated five-year plan, you know, like it's not easy to get through. And a lot of folks had trouble building that rigor themselves. And I think a lot of folks kind of want to protract that transitional experience at New College too, where it's like, I'm not really ready for the adult world yet. Let me hold on to my thesis and my incompleteness here and kind of continue to germinate. And that was very much part of the culture, at least at the time. I think it's still part of the lore of New College, not to mention folks who never finished or took, you know, 15, 20 years to walk right there. Uh, there's a real long history to that story. And that's really very much the lore of the place. Yeah. But I mean, it's real. Like we knew people, I think, who graduated while we were there, who had started 10, 15 years prior. And I took my six-year time. I decided my first or second year, I would take six years. It was intentional. It wasn't, I don't think that I didn't think myself ready to join an adult community. I think it was for the first time in my life and in some sense for the only time in my life. New College was the kind of community that I really aspired to live in. It was getting to the postmodern social constructivism stuff. Like it was applied social constructivism. Yeah. Like, you know, the in the final analysis, each student is responsible for his or her education. Great. Whatever. At a really deep level, like at New College, we were collectively responsible for defining the universe. Like we right. got to put the center there. And then it was really there. It wasn't fakely there. It wasn't like, oh, somebody put a sign up that it's no, it was the center of the universe. Yeah. And everything about our community was like that. And we were really a little bit in a different dimension. The 90s was an interesting decade, too. I mean, there was a lot of anomie, you know, the whatever generation. There was a little bit of, you know, not selling out. Chuck Klosterman's book, The 90s, I just listened to. It's pretty entertaining. Kind of captures that feeling of the end of history, which was, you know, starting to perk up with Y2K a little bit further down the road. But this was sort of heading into this millennial mindset. And then we were being asked to kind of like buy in to the establishment, man, you know, and there's a little bit of rebel flag to the new college culture, too, because uh, 
I think there's a sense of like, we're not included in the mainstream. And that is in fact, our special gift. Like we are, we're different and that actually makes us better. Right. Or we're, I mean, we are an experiment. When I signed up to new college, it was because it was an experimental college. Yes. And we were, I mean, that was what was so remarkable about new college is that we were constantly experimenting in just how we ordered our community, what our social life was like. We were playful. And yet we built a kind of community that was both largely, I think, removed. You could call it ivory tower, but I don't think that's the right characterization. But apart from the larger kind of fashion and political conversation. And that was, I think, less anomic. <laughs> I, I, I want to be careful because New College was a place that demanded a lot from kids as individuals. Yes. Um, it, it lacked structure entirely. And I do know kids who got lost. And so I don't want to pretend it was this community that was rich and lively and inclusive for everyone. That was not everyone's experience. But it was for a whole lot of us and a whole lot of people who found the rest of kind of American life very full of anomie. Yeah. It was a place where people who had always felt like misfits could construct a universe of our own and we had to pay a tax and the tax was we had to do great academic work and generate graduates who would keep interference out of our force field right as much as possible but then we just had the space to construct our own community of five or six hundred people who knew one another as individuals and who studied strange esoteric things together with a faculty that was kind of similar in their in their misfittedness but then also while you were there just kind of building for folks who may not remember your story you were student president what was the student president uh, called NCSA yeah that's right you were new college student Alliance president, you were active and connected to what was going on on campus, really from a leadership level. You know, it was a self-governing town hall style, you know, very inclusive, inclusive, but we needed people to kind of organize that structure and keep it moving. I have talked to Jen Granick, who was also an NCSA president, and I don't know if Eric Schickler was... I don't think he was an NCSA president, but I would describe him as my mentor in college student well, politics. Go. There you go. He was deeply involved. I admired him a great deal. Nice. Exactly. So, yeah, we've been trying to get some of that perspective. And then I remember the noise policy stuff that arose. I don't know whether you were still president at that time, but I do remember there was a protest and I believe you were helping to organize that. But can you... Regale us a bit with your recollection of some of the war stories from back in the 90s leading the NCSA. You know, I think people would enjoy hearing a bit of your perspective from the good old days. Sure. So first thing I'd say before I was NCSA president, the first thing that I did that was sort of more public than just being a student was to be an RA. And that remains the best job I ever had in my life. It was just remarkable just to 
you're living with a community of people and you're just there to help. I enjoyed like cleaning up broken bottles at walls so much, so much fun. And as an RA, you got a single, right? You got the single corner kind of hookup. You did explore a nice room. But the trade-off is that everybody knows you and they know where your room is. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a trade-off. I didn't experience it that way. I just, I just loved it. Again, like in the larger world, like so much about sort of service comes off as cloying. I mean, when I was in high school, I hated the word community. It meant somebody was going to make me do something I didn't want to do. Yes. And, you know, grown up libertarians to this day, that's how they experience the word community. And I understand it. But at New College, I learned something different. Like nothing made me happier than some kind of accident at a wall that I would, you know, I could dance around and clean up, you know. I, I mastered the art of dancing barefoot over broken glass. Kind of like a firewalker. I mean, so you know, it's just so much fun. Anything that I mean, obviously there were things that came up as an RA that were that were bad, that were rough. Sure. And that's not nice. And you know, as a college student, there were interpersonal situations that were bad that's enough hard. and things yeah. that I feel badly about. But it was an extraordinary experience. And just to jump in too on the RA thing, at least at the time, there weren't a lot of student services, you know. Like nowadays, people think, oh, yeah, but then you have the counseling center and you have the wellness and there's this and there's that. In the 90s, it was, let's designate our, I think there were six RAs in the pay dorms, two in each court. And then I think there was one in B dorm and I forget however else they split it up. But at the time, it was like the supports were very thin, especially beyond the RAs. Yeah, it was actually interesting because at that the time that we were there, the wellness center, you probably recall Ann Fisher. Yeah. There was a beginning of a kind of formal wellness apparatus. And there was a fair amount, I think it's fair to say, of, of tension around that because we had a culture of student mutual support and the norms of a professional wellness community are quite different. There was a fair amount of tension around that. And I think, you know, a lot of that experience, I think there are sort of parallels to where we are as a country today with, you know, who people like Chris Rufo are, the reaction to wokeness. We as a country, I don't think have figured out how to address the tensions between sort of professionalized, now it gets called sort of HR-ish norms and ways of looking at the world and maybe ways that are more spontaneous and improvisational and more dangerous, but maybe more organic. And I don't think there's an easy answer to that set of questions. I find it a little bit ironic that in my experience, New College was a place where we were that kind of organic, improvisational, self-governing community struggling with those norms coming in from the outside. Yes. And come today, here's Chris Rufo saying, aha, uh-huh, New College is an avatar of, you know, D-I-H-R, name your acronym, kind of, you know, the, that are imposing themselves over, you know, some sense of community sure. that existed independent of this kind of professionalization. You know, I think there are lovely ironies in all of this. Like, again, I kind of wish, like, you know, I think you're right that Pat Oker was very intentional about kind of reaching out. And I wrote Chris Rufo a note because I am acquainted with an acquaintance of his, tried to make an introduction. There could be a really interesting conversation, but that's just not the direction that they that they chose to go. Like there is in all of this 
beneath the fascism, and I, I think there's no denying living in Florida at this moment. Which you do, just to clarify. I'm comfortably in the hamlet of Brooklyn, New York, but you are, in fact, a Florida man. I am. I just moved back to Florida a year ago. I would not have had I known how sharply Ron DeSantis would, would turn. But yeah, there's no question that... It's not that Ron DeSantis is a fascist. I think that's a silly kind of argument to have. It's that fascism is a kind of dynamic. It's a way by which a community can achieve power by riling up certain kinds of sentiments of enmity. It was crazy to me that during a recent Board of Trustees meeting, Chris Rofo couldn't attend in person. So instead, he was on the big screen, looming over things in Zoom from Hungary. Right. While he was meeting with the repressive Hungarian government to learn about their education program. Right. I mean, talk about Orwellian. It's just wild to me that this is actually happening before our eyes. And that gets me to the concept of resistance, which is something that I think is pretty central as well to the culture. I remember vividly the tree protest when I first got there, the noise protest that we both participated in. I think you helped organize that. But what about that? You know, it's like rubbernecking a car accident on the highway. I kind of don't want to look at what's happening at New College sometimes. But, you know, recently I've had to look more and I continue to be inspired by the students and by how alumni and faculty who hold true to the ideals that I think a lot of us believe in are still kind of fighting for those ideals. And then to me, that opens up a conversation more about a long history of, you know, if you're bringing up these independent thinkers and you're helping them grow and develop as humans, they're going to figure out how to organize and pursue some goals. What are your thoughts on some of those experiences and how that's part of our cultural history as well? Yeah, well, I mean, at New College at the time, I, I don't know, sort of later cohorts, I, I heard rumors that this was less true. But at the time that we were there, there was a culture of resistance in particular to uh, we chafed against our administration. So rather than embracing some kind of DEI institution or something, we were in a kind of constant sense of struggle because we were a community that defied a lot of local community norms, including in some ways that were illegal. We did a lot of drugs. Um, we like to set speakers on the wall and have parties and that provoked noise complaints. We had a tenuous relationship with the cops on campus. Some of the cops were like Officer Rorty, who was sort of a benevolent presence. Yeah, and Henrietta. Right, Henrietta. Uh, there were relationships with individual cops, and then the way things would play forward sometimes would depend on who was working and how that relationship went. It, it certainly did. It like with individual incidents, it depended a lot who was on duty in a night. But I think it's important with you, Rorty and Henrietta Lang, the black hole of inclusion, the sort of attractive inclusivity of New College affected the cops, too. Yes. Like Hugh Rorty and Henry, they were just naturally like nice people. I don't want yeah. to be like, yeah, we. At least in the case of Rorty, a retired New York City cop who was living more comfortably down in Florida later on in their lives. And just kind of compare that to what they had seen. Right. He would see what was going on here and he'd be like, as long as nobody gets hurt, you guys are going to be okay. You know, he was just kind of pulling for you. Yeah. And we for him. I mean, he and Henrietta especially just really became a part of the community. Like, yes, yes they were the cops. Yes, 
they walked around in their uniforms, probably with guns. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know about guns. They had golf carts for sure. A golf cart, yes. But they were a part of our community. They weren't apart from. They weren't an alien force policing us. And that happened not immediately, like with each of them, and not all of them. There were there there were people who were sort of less amenable, kind of joining the community. But with the ones who did, like we got to know them, and they got to know us, and we yeah. sort of sniffed each other out, and we realized that, like, yeah, you guys might be cops, and in theory, that means that you have some adversarial responsibilities towards us, but. You are not actually our enemies. You have our interests at heart, and we would love to embrace you, and we would find a kind of detente. And we would try not to embarrass them, right? Just because a cop is nice doesn't mean while pot is still fully illegal, you can, you know, light up a spliff right in front of even the nicest cop. That's just rude. They have a job to do. Right. You had to respect the office. Right. Exactly. We were part of the same community. We understood their constraints and they understood ours. And that was just remarkable. And again, like there's an example there, like the way I think about New College a lot nowadays is like they're busy trying to impose something on us, but they have so much to learn from us and not just like, oh, the fascists have so much to learn from us because they're fascists. No, like the whole the political spectrum that has now divided itself into professionalized liberals on one side and fascists on the other side. Like they all suck. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like I, I really like the pieces that um who is the woman? Alex Wagner on MSNBC. Alex MSNBC. Wagner, yeah. Uh, she's doing wonderful pieces of New College and I, I don't want to trash talk like MSNBC yeah. or something in sure. general. She's I really appreciate her pieces. But the polarization reflected by MSNBC on one side and Fox or Newsmax on the like all of those people have a great deal to learn from our community. And the fact that instead of learning this controversy, one side basically said, you know what? We don't have anything to learn from you. We're going we're gonna to remake you in our name. And right. then the other side says, uh-huh, no, 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 we're going to stop that. Like a, a really foolish thing, I think, for a new college to do would be to let itself get captured. As like, yes, they have said that we are the woke campus. So we're going to define our mission as to be defending wokeness. Now, in, you know, on those questions, like stereotypically, most of us are kind of politically liberal or on the left, and most of us are more likely to agree with uh, things that are affiliated with sort of the, the woke than the anti-woke side of our culture wars. But the lesson of New College was that, it was that communities aren't that flat. Yeah. Right? Like Hugh Rorty comes in as a New York cop. I don't think his politics was especially leftist. I don't think he was like a secret like Marxist or something, but he joined our community and it didn't yeah. matter. And I had, I remember having fun conversations with him about drug yeah. policy and he wasn't like on my side of the policy ideas, but he was on my side personally. Yeah. He knew me as a kid from New York. So we wound up talking a lot about what he remembered about Brooklyn. Like I live near where he was working when he was a cop up in Brooklyn nowadays. And I remember him talking to me about the Vale of Kashmir in Prospect Park and how I live up here and they're redoing the Vale and things that he was talking to me about back in the 90s are still relevant to me as a New Yorker today. Just that transcends the kinds of things that we squabble over. Yeah. And even for me, you know, New College, I definitely think it connected with my independent spirit to this day where I still don't like talking about right and left. It feels very 
it oversimplifies the conversation. And there is like a strand of radical libertarian thinking that really underpins the experiment, the academic experiment that we all were part of. Yeah. At least back in the day. I feel like there might have been some walking back since then. Also, because the broader culture has gone through a lot of changes. That's part of why I've enjoyed talking to folks who were there, because it's almost like you want to validate that it was actually like this, right? I was talking to someone the other day about the pool tables and the jukebox in Ham Center and in the pub there. We had free video games and just the level to which that was a very, you know, welcoming location. It was another social hub where, you know, I made and deepened many of the close relationships that I still have to this day through spaces like that. And I guess to me, the question is, what happens if the spaces actually go away? Uh, that's where you wrote something that we'll share out in the show notes that really resonated with me. I thought it was great. Something called We Haunt, which is talking about those spaces and how we relate to them. We're getting closer to time and you know, I'd love to have you back. Who knows what happens with stuff? It'd be great to have you continue to engage in the conversation, but maybe we can close with you talking a little bit about what drove you to write that and how we're thinking about how this might play forward and what alums and folks who hold New College close to our hearts, uh, some words of encouragement and some of your thoughts, I think would go a long way. Yeah, I, I just say, just like the center of the universe really is the center of the universe, even though in a certain sense, obviously it's not. Like the physical space of the campus, they can do whatever they want to it. They have the legal right, right? But they can't actually touch us. <laughs> like, they really can't. Like, the community that we built, the things that we live, the things that we experience can't be touched. And I know this sounds arrogant, and it is arrogant, but I don't care. Like, what we lived at New College is what the rest of the world needs, not the other way around, right? We were the most American college in the history of colleges, right? Because as you said, we were radical libertarians. That was our ethos. Yeah. You want to do drugs, do drugs. You want to do your thing, you do your thing. We were radical yeah. libertarians and we were tremendous communitarians. Yes, yes. We went to church every Friday and Saturday night. Dancing under the stars, yes. Dancing under the stars. That was, I mean, it was a church. We didn't like to think of it that way. And the climate was wonderful for uh, nighttime dancing. It cooled off a little bit depending on the time of the year. Of course, January ISP, the whole weather situation, you never know what you're going to get. But yeah, it was a pretty magical place to just kind of let loose a little bit. I mean, the physical place was wonderful, but we really did. Like we, we were experimenting constantly. We had an extraordinarily rich sense of community, a kind that almost nobody in our isolating, commercialized world has. And we had a tremendous ethos of liberty. And we had a tremendous ethos of democracy. So when I was involved in student government, the thing I enjoyed the most was the town meetings. And the town meetings, they really were about, like I would organize them and moderate them. And they were all about letting everybody have their say. Yeah. Like that was it. We would, we were going to vote on whatever we were going to vote on eventually. But like, what was the work? What was the ethos? It was all about figuring out, okay, like people have passions or mad about stuff. They're going to, you know, be tempted to talk each other down. But how can we organize this so everybody gets their say? Like we were 
like the ethos of the town meeting of a small New England Puritan town. Yeah. Like, so it's really funny to me that, you know, the Rufus of the world think of New College as a sort of anti-American, alien, professionalized thing when it's experimental, radically libertarian, radically communitarian. Yeah, and pretty bottom up, too. I mean, I, I think that's where they may be in for a longer fight, perhaps, than they're expecting. You know, here's to everyone who's still there and is sticking it out. All of our thoughts go to supporting the faculty, students, the staff, everybody who's down there, whose job and livelihood is involved and is trying to reconcile what is happening to their lives. But uh, any concluding thoughts here, Steve? I'd love to have you back. We're still figuring out the format and how much we're going to edit and clean things up. But it is important to get this stuff out in the world and hopefully not overthink it too much. Right. It doesn't have to be a polished stone. Like we're not trying to cut the perfect diamond. It's like, it's great to get the people together. And I mean, maybe a good thing that could happen in this moment of challenge is that as a, a community over time, not just the people who are physically on campus now, using institutions like this, we have lots of tools now that don't depend upon us all being in the same place. That's kind of what I'm getting at, the kind of decentralized, bottom-up ethos that's very much, you know, if you're really student-led, the students ultimately are empowered. And even now, you know, you can't control them. And like a lot of the more contemporary thinking about building cultures is around agency and, you know, you want to foster that because that's the type of culture that ultimately thrives, you know? So when this top-down approach to transplanting a different culture into new college, I'm skeptical that it will work. You know, maybe the name will change, maybe it'll become something different, but, you know, the the dissonance is just so great. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts as we wrap up here. There's a lot of, I think, social psychic energy of our community around that space, and it's not going to dissipate. And, you know, if they own the college for a long enough time, they can wait us out. But if this is, you know, if if the country doesn't stay, you know, if, if Florida doesn't become a fascist tellhole forever, we are waiting in the wings and we're not going anywhere. And the kids who are there, they will be curious. They will know something extraordinary happened on this space and want to learn about it. It will be a, a, an ancient, there'll be ancient runes they'll yes. find in the thesis room. And we will be glad to help let them know. And I think, you know, we might be going through a cold winter, but I don't think this is an end of anything. Amazing stuff. Steve Waldman, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for doing this, Mike. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode of the Palm Court Podcast. I'm Mike Palmer. We'll be back with more conversations from folks who really know New College. To play us out, this is sound from friend of the show, Grant Balfour, who put together some music inspired by Pat Oker's final speech as president of New College, where she talked about the importance of letting your light shine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.